Good, good morning, and welcome to our service of worship. Uh, we want everyone to feel comfortable as they uh, are here with us. So if you feel comfortable keeping your mask on for the whole service, then please feel free to do so. However, we are allowed to remove our masks except when we're singing. So feel free to do whatever uh, makes you comfortable. My name is David Montgomery. I'm a member here at Kirkpatrick and will be leading the service this morning. In recent weeks, we have been remembering that we worship a God who is the eternal Word, who has moved into our neighborhood, who is the Lamb of God, who is full of grace and truth, who was sent into the world to give us new birth to eternal life, who has walked where we walked, laughed and wept as we laugh and weep, who has taught with authority, and who announced the arrival of the kingdom of God with miraculous signs. We worship the God who turned the water into wine. So let's stand and praise Him this morning. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise You for Your love and grace towards us. It never ceases to amaze us that you, the eternal Word, humbled yourself to become one of us and to face the pain and the suffering of this world head on. We thank you that here we have somewhere that we can bring our own pain and that in the midst of doubts or questions, we have somewhere to go, someone to turn to. We thank you that here also we can rejoice here we can find a place of joy that is deeper than the superficial happiness that we experience elsewhere. So, Lord, however that we have entered the building this morning, we pray that we would meet with you by your Spirit and leave change. Walk with us. Speak to us through the words of praise on our lips, through the reading of your inspired Word, and through the application of it as Graham preaches to us. Lord Jesus, we know that we have no refuge but you. We come to you confessing our sins, knowing that only you can rescue us. And as the woman of Samaria found forgiveness and peace through you, may we know your forgiveness and peace this morning. May we know that you take us as we are in all our unworthiness and messiness, but you do not leave us there. You lift us up and you turn us around and you make us whole. You remind us that there is no condemnation for those who have been cleansed by you. So, Lord, may that truth permeate our hearts this morning. In your gracious name we pray. Amen. Now, for our Connecting Church slot this morning, I'm going to ask the Reverend Jim Campbell to come up. Many of you know Jim uh, and all that he did for us during the vacancy, and I'm sure you've seen him up here helping us with uh, preaching and the Lord's Supper. But one of his primary areas of service in this church, uh, along with Ruth, has been the Friendship Club. Now, Jim, my first ever encounter with Kirkpatrick Memorial was the Friendship Club. Uh, decades ago, when I was just a raw young assistant, still at college, um, Stanley Mills, who 
started uh, the Friendship Club along with others, invited me along. So my first memory of Kirkpatrick is this Friendship Club that is still going from strength to strength. So could you tell us exactly what it is? Well, as you say, Stanley Mills and others started it in the mid-90s whenever uh, a group of people retired. And it's continued. We meet uh, twice a month, usually 30 or 40 people there. And uh, we have, as you say, a growing number uh, and a a very uh, positive program. And what would you say its purpose is? Well, let me tell you a story. Uh, my mother, when she was, na- was 100, just a few years ago, uh, one of the highlights of her birthday was opening all the birthday cards she received from people everywhere. And when we got to the envelope from the Queen and we opened it, she looked at the photograph and she said, how does she know me? You know, in a church, a big church, many people don't know one another. Many people. And unless really you belong to some organization or one of the discipleship groups, it is very difficult to really know people. Now, Stanley Mills and these others started this organization where people could meet together in the afternoon and get to know one another more closely in fellowship. You know, when you get old like me, you don't like going out at night so much. And uh, an afternoon meeting is uh, very attractive. And so we meet, uh, we meet in an afternoon. I suppose I'm going to say there's about uh, several things. First of all, of course, you can care for one another. You belong to a group where you care for one another. There was a nice phrase I heard in Radio 4 service this morning, taking people from welcome to inclusion. And this is what we are trying to do. Mutual care for one another, enrichment of life. We try to have a program that is broad and interests people, broadening of their vision. We, I suppose, are the main organization in the church that invites people who are thinking about things wider than, you know, the the protocol and whether a tree should be planted at Stormont. And uh, we support and have people speaking about the various missions, whether it's uh, IFES or InterServe that uh, the Welshes are with or other folks doing things. We try to widen and broaden people's vision. And we have tried, of course, also to strengthen people's faith. Monty and Gwen will be coming for our Holy Week service this year. We have uh, that as an objective too. And, but I think one of the most important things is we try to encourage and inspire people. We want people to go home from the meeting saying it was great being there. I'm glad I went out this afternoon. It was great. And we have that sort of positive encouragement. So I think those are the sort of objectives we have, really. Care, enrichment of life, broadening of vision, strengthening of faith. Great. And the program's quite varied, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, Give a flavor of what they might expect if they come along. Well, now, 
First of all, I should say, you'll all be rushing to get one of these, but there's a little card in the vestibule at the table as you go out, giving the topics for this year. Usually people come with some social activity to begin with. A speaker, we tend to have one home topic and one away topic. Home topics, maybe we have somebody talking about scams or security or things that are relating to people's own personal lives here. Others, of course, well, last week we had the Bible Society in Northern Ireland. The week before that, we had two of our Irish Presbyterian missionaries, the Veres. And, of course, next time we've got the boss. Graham is going to be interviewed and answer your questions two weeks weeks time. So those are the type of things. We have a speaker. We have a simple afternoon tea and Livingstone's immune person looking after that. And we have outings. We tend to have a Christmas dinner always out. Some of these uh, retired people, they, except for that dinner out with us, they, they, they're very much confined to their own homes. We have a summer outing for the same reason, to give people an enriched and a wider life. By the way, I should say there's no age limit. Ageism's out. So don't think you're too young or too old to come along. And, and what, what are the, the beers? Just remind us the time it meets and where it meets. Well, we meet on a, a Tuesday, 3 o'clock to 4.30 in, in the hall. Uh, uh, one thing I should say that I think is important is this, and I'll tell you a story to illustrate it. A young assistant minister came to a church He wanted to get to know the people. By the way, I'm not talking about Paul. He's not as young as he looks. (laughs) Jim Jim isn't sticking to his script at this point, I just want to say. Anyway, I saw him passing. That's why I thought I'd better explain myself. He wasn't walking out because he knew his name was going to be mentioned. But anyway, the point I'm going to make is this. I've been in a church church work for about 60 years. One of the dangers in a church is splitting families. You have organizations for women, you have organizations for men, and there's a place for those. For instance, we have a very good men's Bible study group going on. PW is an excellent organization. But you also need somewhere where men and women can come together. And that's a role that we fulfill, men and women. I always like to think of ourselves as a little cameo of what Paul talks about in Galatians 3. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ. And to me, that is a great picture. We are trying to reflect that unity in Christ that Paul has as the ideal church in, in his writings. So. Well, listen, thank you very much, Jim. Uh, any final words you, uh, that you want to say? Just one, one very quick point. An interesting point about our organization. We've over about 40 would come. At least a quarter of do not belong to Kirkpatrick. One of the wonderful things that I found when I came here, the members invite their neighbors There's an outreach there. 
that is very important. Imagine if when we start meeting with nothing, no rules here, you discovered that a quarter of the people in, in church in the morning were people invited by their neighbors. It would transform the whole situation. We see ourselves as sort of bridge builders. And I hope that uh, we'll continue to have that outreach and welcome to all. Great. Thank you very much, Jim. Okay, Thanks thank for you. that. And we'll be praying for the Friendship Club uh, as later in the service. When I think of the uh, Friendship Club, one of the things that comes to mind is God's faithfulness. Uh, his faithfulness to them as a group over decades, but also his years of faithfulness in the lives of the individuals who have been there. Um, and there are lots of stories of his faithfulness that could be heard if you sat down and chatted on a Tuesday afternoon to the people that are at that Friendship Club. So we're going to sing now of his faithfulness through the ages. We've come now to John chapter 4 in our series looking at uh, the gospel as told to us by John, God moves in, and we will read from verses 1 to 26, John chapter 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. He said to him, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 
You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called the Christ, is coming, and when to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am He. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to be uh, back again in worship and sharing with you, uh, whether here in the building or watching online. Let's pray together as we come to, to God's Word. Let's join in prayer. Lord our God, speak to us afresh through these words. Encourage us, draw close to us. Remind us of who you are and what you give to us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. It's hard to avoid the conclusion uh, today that we live in a, a world, increasingly live in a world, of boundaries and polarization. If you watch or listen to the news or spend any time on social media, you can't help but see the boundary lines that have been drawn. People being pushed to positions where, where they are alienated from one another. We've seen it in our national politics with Brexit over the last six years. We've seen it at our own local level where polarized opinions have once again led to the bringing down of the executive. Jim mentioned the protocol. I didn't mention it. Jim mentioned it. Uh, all of those things have come to work to bring down the executive. And lines are drawn and positions are taken and we polarize. Boundaries are drawn up. In our culture, there seems to be an increasingly large gap between those who claim to take a, a progressive or liberal view of any number of social issues and those who are more conservative with a small c. In society, as more and more newcomers find themselves here uh, among us in Belfast, there is the lurking danger of racism and prejudice against those who arrive on our shores easier, much easier to draw up boundaries than it is to extend the hand of welcome. If you venture online, you can really see the depths to which we are polarized from each other. The stated idea of social media at the start, whatever it was, 15, 16 years ago, was to bring people together the reality in so many cases seems to have been the opposite. It seems in some places, at least, that it's driving people further and further apart. Spend any time on the more traditional forms of social media, Twitter and Facebook, and you find those places can be places of enormous anger, frustration, division. 
course, boundaries have always existed in human society. Human beings have always found ways to erect barriers between themselves based on any number of factors that you care to think of. Race, religion, gender, nationality, morality, they've all been used to draw boundaries between us over the centuries. And they are all represented in this Samaritan woman at the well. Because you see, into this world of cultural boundaries that we draw up steps Jesus. And in this encounter with this woman at the well, Jesus deliberately, consciously, even provocatively crosses the cultural boundaries of his day. He's setting a pattern. The kingdom of God will not be a political kingdom that hides behind borders, that sets up boundaries. The good news of Jesus will not be restricted to a select few who meet a certain standard or who qualify to be let in on the secret. Your religious background, your racial group, your gender, your country of origin, your previous lifestyle do not qualify you or disqualify you from hearing and responding to the gospel of Jesus. And in this passage, Jesus is setting a pattern not just for himself or for his immediate disciples, but for the church. In the autumn in Kirkpatrick, you were spending time in the book of Acts. And there you discovered how in the early years of the church, boundaries kept being crossed by the good news. First Samaritans, then Gentiles became followers of Christ and were baptized and admitted into God's new covenant people, the church. To be true to its calling, the church of Jesus Christ always needs to imitate its founder. It always needs to be primarily a boundary-crossing movement, not a boundary-setting barrier-building institution. And here in John 4, we see Jesus himself crossing those boundaries. And we see where this boundary crossing leads. So what are the specific boundaries Jesus is crossing in this encounter with this woman at the well? Well, there are quite a few. He's crossing a racial boundary. Samaritans were regarded by the Jews as racially impure. During the exile uh, in in the uh, Old Testament days, God's people living in the northern kingdom of Israel had intermarried with some of the local Canaanite tribes who were still there. It would not have been uncommon in Jesus' time then to hear Jews refer to those northern Samaritans as half-breeds. Prejudice was so deep, the racial prejudice was so deep, that Jews wouldn't even use the same plates or drinking vessels as Samaritans. And if you think that's really bizarre, then think back just a few decades to the United States in the 1950s and 60s where black people weren't allowed to use the same water fountains as white people. So when Jesus asks this Samaritan woman, for a drink from her bucket. He is quite deliberately exploding 
a racial prejudice. He was also crossing a religious boundary. The Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Jewish Bible as Scripture. They didn't recognize Jerusalem as the center for the worship of God. Instead, they erected their own center of worship on Mount Gerizim, not far from where Jesus and this woman were meeting. And so as a result, Jews and Samaritans both regarded one another as heretical, as apostate. There was a religious boundary. Of course, Jesus was crossing a gender boundary. It was unheard of for a Jewish man, respectable Jewish man, to speak to any woman outside in public. It was even frowned upon for a Jewish man to speak to his own wife in public. When Jesus saw this woman approaching the well for water, it would have been the culturally appropriate thing for him to move back about 10 or 20 paces to allow her to come to the well. But he doesn't. He's tired from the journey. He's just sat down. And he stays where he is. Not only does he stay where he is, he initiates conversation with her. Not only that, but he puts himself in the position of needing her help. He has no bucket with him to draw water, so he asks her, will you give me a drink? This is potentially scandalous behavior for a would-be respected rabbi. To make matters worse, he was knowingly crossing a moral boundary. The woman was coming to the well at noon, midday, in the heat of the day. She was coming to collect water which would have been incredibly heavy to carry back home in the heat of the day. All of the other women would have already come to the well in the cool of the morning between five and six o'clock. Even within her own village, this woman is a social outcast. And the reason for her outsider status within the village becomes clear as the conversation goes on. She is what might be kindly described as a serial monogamist. She's been married five times and is now living with a sixth man who's not her husband. Jesus crosses boundaries to share the gospel with a woman who is on the margins even of her own community because of her reputation. So here is Jesus crossing racial, religious, gender, and moral boundaries to have a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well. 2,000 years on, these are boundaries that are not unfamiliar to any of us. Think of Rosa Parks taking her seat on that bus in Montgomery, Alabama in the 1950s. Think of Martin McGuinness and Ian Paisley sitting at the same table and going on to share power together. Think of Malala Yousafzai, the Pakistani schoolgirl determined to get an education despite being threatened and eventually shot and injured by the Taliban. Think of Princess Diana consciously reaching out to touch the hand of an AIDS patient. Boundary crossers. And Jesus crosses these kinds of boundaries and barriers and more. Is it any wonder the disciples don't know what to say when they come back from the village with food? They're speechless. Why would Jesus be speaking to such a person? Why would he so blatantly cross these cultural boundaries? Why would he take such risks with his own reputation? 
And he's speaking to this woman for exactly the same reason that he spoke with Nicodemus in the previous chapter. He is offering to her a new, endlessly fulfilling life. He is offering to her living water. Now, it seems clear from the passage and from what we learn about this woman that she had been seeking fulfillment in one particular place, in her relationships with men. She didn't even care what the other village women thought of her. She was going to find her fulfillment in relationship after relationship after relationship. But the more she sought fulfillment in those places, the emptier her life became. Instead of her thirst being quenched, she just got thirstier and thirstier and thirstier. It's very easy to look at this woman by the well and sit in judgment of her. But she's more representative of all of us than we realize. Some people do still search for fulfillment in physical or romantic relationships. And on this Valentine's weekend, we will be encouraged to see romantic love as the way to be truly satisfied. We will hear corny lines from romantic comedies like, you complete me. And we're sold the lie that if only we had a relationship like that, we would be fulfilled. But it's not just romantic love that deceives us in that way. It could be career, wealth, possessions, power, a host of other things. So let me ask you a question. What is it in your life that makes you think, if only I had that, I would be fulfilled? I would feel significant. I would have real security. I would be content if only I had that thing. If there is something in your life that makes you feel that way, and if that thing is not Jesus Christ, then that thing will let let you down. That thing will fail you. Instead of fulfilling you, that thing will enslave you to the point where you have to have it. And the thought of losing it is terrifying. Career, health, youth, relationships, wealth, power, pleasure, whatever it is we live for, if it's not Jesus, it's going to fail us. It'll fail us because it will not provide what Jesus offers here. Jesus is the one who offers true fulfillment. We're made for relationship with him, and without him we're empty. He is as basic to our spiritual satisfaction as water is to our physical health. It's for that reason that the Apostle Paul, while writing his letter to the Philippians that the the men have been studying and the women will be studying soon, for that reason Paul can write to these Philippians sitting under house arrest in Rome, having lost his career, his reputation as a rabbi, his standing in the Jewish community, and his personal freedom. And he can say to them, I consider it all rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. 
A man who is facing the very real prospect of losing his life at a moment's notice, and he's able to say, for me to live is Christ, and so to die is gain. A man who's able to say that he has learned truly what it means to be content whatever the circumstances because he's found his complete and consistent fulfillment, his living water in Jesus Christ. So what is the impact that this encounter, this boundary crossing offer of living water has on this woman's life? And what impact should it have on ours? So much changes for this woman in the course of this conversation. She's treated with dignity and compassion, perhaps for the first time in a long time. Having been accustomed to being treated as either someone to be used by men or someone to be scorned by other women, she's now treated as a person in her own right, as an individual with unique longings whose needs can only be met in Jesus. But she also experiences conviction. When Jesus demonstrates that he already knows about her past and her present, her whole life is brought into his light. Yes, she attempts to divert the conversation away because it gets a little bit too close to home. So she attempts to divert things into a a theological discussion about where we should worship. But even that leads to a deeper point about the kind of true worship that God requires. A worship of the heart that has nothing to do with with her human traditions or, or even the human traditions of the temple. Jesus reveals himself to this woman, he reveals himself as the center of true worship. Not just the Messiah, but the I Am, the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And suddenly this woman's conviction of sin turns to exuberant joy. Could this be him? And she becomes an evangelist. She becomes the one, Jim, inviting others to come. She becomes the one telling anyone who will listen about this man to come to him, to see him, because he's changed her life. For Jesus' disciples, the impact is somewhat different. They are initially shocked and confused. They're left speechless as they return to find their master deep in conversation with with this Samaritan woman. But as she goes back to the village, Jesus takes the opportunity later on in in the passage to reveal to them all what this means. The scope of the mission that Jesus is on is wider than they could possibly have imagined. The harvest that he will reap will not just be from the Jews. It will include Samaritans and many, many more. In fact, he will be, as the Samaritan villagers rightly call him in verse 42 at the end of the, 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 the whole passage, he will be the Savior of the world. So what impact does this encounter have on you? Do you perhaps identify with the woman? Finding in Jesus the fulfillment and peace that elude you 
everywhere else in your life? Or do you identify with the disciples as Jesus challenges you to cross a particular personal or cultural boundary in order to share the good news with that person? Jesus, remember, has crossed the ultimate boundary for you and for me. He who was in very nature God became human, became a servant, became a victim for you and for me. He crossed the boundary between heaven and earth to bring us home. He crossed that boundary to confront us with the emptiness of our lives without him. And he confronts us head on just as he confronted this woman. There's no deceiving him. There's no deflecting him. There's no point in pretending. You cannot mislead him about the true state of your heart. You can't pretend that everything is fine the way we do so often in church when we're asked, how are you? You can't pretend that everything is fine when in reality your thirst for fulfillment is eating you alive. He crossed that boundary to call us to himself and then to commission us to go and share with others that fulfillment, that satisfaction, that peace that we found in him. He crossed that boundary to offer us true, consistent satisfaction in place of those broken down wells that will only leave us thirsty again. He knows your longings, your needs, your desires, and he comes to bring life in all its fullness. Let me finish with this thought from C.S. Lewis. This is my fourth Sunday in East Belfast. It's about time I quoted C.S. Lewis. This is what he says about how our desires are satisfied in Christ. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Is that you? Are you far too easily pleased? Are you messing around with stuff that will never satisfy you when streams of living water are on offer in Christ? If you're a Christian, have you got yourself into a position where you've lost your first love? Have you reverted to the idols of career and relationships and pleasure that never satisfied you before and won't satisfy you now? Have you stopped looking to Christ to be your salvation, your purpose, your ambition, and your joy? And if you have, will you turn to him now and let him flood your life afresh with living water? Let's pray. Lord God, challenge our hearts Show us the boundaries we need us to, you need us to cross. But also reveal to us where we're seeking things other than Christ to be our fulfillment. 
and draw us to him. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue as we sing the hymn, Who, O Lord, could save themselves? You alone can rescue. You alone can save. As we just highlight some items of church news, I think we're going to begin with a video about the rooted event that is coming up shortly. in Christ and here we are with Jesus the one who holds us the one who has eternal life we will never be and we never have been in control of our lives like I know my life is in God's hands and all I need to do is trust him realize that if I keep looking at myself and my circumstances that's one of the days I find really hard and actually it was the days where I started my day well and you know look to God and I think that just brings your whole day completely differently I believe um, throughout this pandemic, God has been working and he's been speaking to us and we really want to have ears to hear him. So Victoria has uh, written that Rooted Together is this great opportunity to come together for coffee for fellowship for interviews and bible teaching uh, and so that's going to take place on saturday the 19th of february from 2 to 4 in the main forbes hall uh, coffee are available from 145 so come early for that uh, and following that rooted together if you like that taster event uh, the woman will be encouraged to sign up for the weekly rooted bible study which happens on wednesday evenings from the 2nd of march for six weeks until the 6th of april so please do sign up on Church Suite, and if you don't have access to Church Suite, then please contact Jane in the church office. Uh, I'd also draw your attention to all the announcements in the weekly update, particularly those uh, around the Passion for Life event in the light of what Graham and Jim have been saying to us about reaching out. Mark spoke about it uh, last week, and next Sunday night is the first event uh, of, if you like, uh, training for that Passion for Life uh, event. So again, please sign up on Church Suite for that. <clears throat> going to come and uh, with our prayers of intercession, our prayers for others now. And as some of you know, <coughs> as some of you know, often when I find myself leading from the piano, I encourage us to do a simple sung response in between our prayers of intercessions. Uh, and it goes like this. We will lay our burdens down. We will lay our burdens down. We will lay our burdens down at the feet of the Let's try that. I'll do it a little bit lower for all of us, okay? We will lay our burdens down. We will lay 
burdens down. We will lay our burdens down at the feet of the risen Lord. <clears throat> Lord, we know that your gospel But we live in a world that always wants to divide, whether it's by nationality or gender or race or class or history. We thank you that being citizens of your kingdom means that we have brothers and sisters on the other side of every conflict and every divide. And as we've just sung together, you, O Lord, have made the way, the great divide you've healed. For when our hearts were far away, your love went further still. And so this morning we pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, that you would protect them and give them peace at a time of deep uncertainty. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Russia, as they seek to be salt and light in a country where it is increasingly difficult to speak out, to be heralds of peace, when it seems so countercultural. We pray that you would thwart the plans of those bent on war and destruction and bless those who are negotiating for peace. We will lay our burdens down. We will, we will lay our burdens down. We will lay our burdens down. We will lay our burdens down. for a willingness and a courage to work together on all sides, that neither political posturing nor partisan politics would damage the well-being of the citizens of Northern Ireland, particularly the most vulnerable. We pray for those facing unprecedented economic challenges because of the loss of work through the pandemic or because of the rise in energy bills. We pray for the work of Storehouse and Christians Against Poverty, we pray for wisdom for those in government and Stormont, in Westminster, in Dublin and Strasbourg, that there would be a wise approach to facing the implications of this pandemic that takes into account all the damage that is done, not just to physical health, but to economic well-being, mental stability and spiritual wholeness. We will lay our burdens down. We will lay. Lord, we pray for our congregation. Be with those dealing this weekend with the arrival of COVID into their homes. Give them the strength to cope, whether it is with the endless frustration of disruption through positive tests or missing school, or the very real fear of serious illness. We pray for our seniors. We thank you for the work of the Friendship Club, as highlighted by Jim earlier, and ask that you would bless each and every one who crosses the threshold of that fellowship.
May they continue to be a beacon to those in Ballyhackamore who have been isolated in recent months. We pray for our evangelism group as they seek to make the Passion for Life project an opportunity for all of us to share the gospel and the good news of your grace with our neighbours. Lord Jesus, you encourage us to bring to you our prayers and requests, our hopes and our fears, and lay them at your feet. And as we have done so, we pray that you will hear and answer according to your sovereign will. We will lay our burdens down. We will lay our burdens down. We will lay our burdens down at the feet of the risen Lord. So go in the strength of the Lord to follow him wherever he leads you this week. May the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon each one of us until we meet again in Jesus' name. Amen.